The best way to predict the future is to invent it. Stephen Ambrose brings you up to speed on what the future holds as he explores the latest technology as it impacts our lives. Well, welcome to Tech Talk right here on IFM, where we always cover all the craziest, latest and most interesting news. And technology, as I'm sure you realize, is certainly part of everyday life. It does what we need it to do. Orders us, orders us the groceries, does whatever we can. And there is some good news on the horizon for South Africa. If you've been experiencing slow internet and mostly for browsing and the average stuff not being too bad, but I did mention a couple of weeks ago that two major cables on the west coast of Africa had been damaged and cut. That was the wax cable and the SAT3 cable. Uh, both major cables. Luckily, tons of cables have come into the country. So it didn't really stop us using the Internet much in South Africa, but it did have an impact. A lot of gamers were complaining. A lot of media services were struggling to keep updating their, their, their media service in South Africa and were pushing you out to other servers across the world, creating delays, l- high latency, which is the time it takes for the signal to get to the um, – server and back. But anyway, the good news is that the ship has got to the various breaks off the west coast of Congo and repaired the first of the two cables. So the big one, the wax cable, has been repaired. Uh, signals to South Africa on how flowing thoroughly through that cable and latencies have probably dropped and we're absolutely back up and running on the majority of the services that, certainly for the gaming guys out there, those servers seem to have come back online and everything seems to be working pretty normally. And latency affects voice, gaming, anything that needs pretty instant uh, response. So that's really good news. Hopefully the SAT3 cable, which is, interestingly, a cable that's been updated again and again, which is one of the very first undersea cables that was uh, owned by Telcom, amongst others, mostly by Telcom. And uh, let's hope that things go back to normal. We don't have any further breaks. There's enough going on with uh, the heavy load shedding and whatnot. So the last thing you need is that your Internet stops working if you've got the power to enjoy it. But I think a lot of people have got backups and everything. But good, as I said, the Google-owned Equiano and Facebook to Africa cable um, are here. Equiano is up and running. Google, it's a massive brand-new cable. The to Africa from Facebook is not up and running yet, but should be very soon. So the cost of Internet, as I predicted, is is keeping on coming down. The RAND is not helping, but the cost of Internet services and broadband Internet, especially on international routes, is definitely coming down. And we are seeing better performance. So it's good news all around, and hopefully we don't have any crazy stuff going on any further. And in other Internet news, Vodacom have just announced that they are going to work with uh, Amazon's Starlink rival, satellite rival, um, and it's called Project Caper. And Project Caper is a high bandwidth, low latency satellite network that's managed um, and owned by Amazon. And they're going to use it mostly for the sort of rural areas where it can extend the 4G and 5G network, data networks into more rural areas and give um, you know, give a great boost to performance. Many times those areas are either using other slower internet platforms or uh, point-to-point um, 
connections on radio, very high-frequency radio, but sometimes even that is not possible. So generally, wherever it's really challenging and prohibitively expensive, it makes a lot of sense to to essentially use something like satellite. And with Starlink, unfortunately, seemingly to be delayed due to political reasons, there's a lot of going-ons around you know, the uh, Starlink needs to be BE compliant and offer to get a license in terms of ICASA to give 30% to previously disadvantaged um, communities. Now, that certainly is never going to happen. I can't see Starlink, Starlink Global giving 30% of its business to anyone in South Africa, let alone 1% of its business to anyone in South Africa. There are ways around it, but all of them bring complexity, and unfortunately, complexity brings cost and makes things really difficult. And let's see how that all pans out. Um, I believe that, uh, for example, Kenya have exempted Starlink from any of these sort of requirements or local ownership requirements, and the system's up and running there at low cost, and it performs really well. But let's see how Project Capo, which uses similar, very similar uh, dishes and 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 the same sort of platforms that this type of internet users. So bringing high-speed satellite internet to rural South Africa or even to areas where cables are stolen or fiber breaks come in as a backup setup makes a ton of sense. So let's hope um, Vodacom move ahead and simply, instead of just using it for their own things, they'll be able to use it for other things. And with Amazon coming into the country, the rumors are still strong, there will be an Amazon shopping portal very shortly in South Africa and their new campus down in Cape Town where the AWS development and many other technical things are happening, the chances are that Amazon would be very well poised to launch a satellite service within South Africa. It can't, obviously, under any circumstances, replace fiber. Fiber is the essential gold standard in any form of connectivity. But no question that a backup of high-speed satellite in certain areas where fiber is not possible or even areas where fiber goes down, makes so much sense. So we're looking forward to hearing what Vodafone, Vodacom, and Project Caper will do. But they say they will start deploying services in Africa and Europe um, as these production satellites come online. It's not nearly as advanced as Starlink yet, but um, Amazon are not a company to be trifled with. And if they want to get a whole host of satellites out there, I have no doubt that they are going to bring tons and tons of satellites um, to the world in short order. And staying with telecommunications, staying with mobile, I'm sure most of you have noticed that there's been a pretty good explosion of MVNOs. Now, an MVNO is a mobile virtual network operator. MTN, Vodacom, Celsi, are of MVNO right now, but they pretend they're not because they have a license. And Telcom have been the only names in town. But now all of a sudden you can buy... SIM card from FNB, from AfriHost, from Pick and Pay, Me and You, Standard Bank, a whole host of other companies, and they all work as MVNOs. And there has been a big, big surge in that. And I must admit that for the most part, I've found the business case, or rather the advantages, other than where they they sort of tied to a free version of you know, getting stuff because you're on a loyalty program. I haven't seen a lot of growth in that space. But anyway, let's um, let's watch it. I think there are going to be more of them. There seems to be a big push towards MVNOs, having a, a much more decentralized selling front 
to mobile networks other than simply choosing between MTN, Vodacom, Celsius, or Telcom. And let's watch this space and see exactly how this pans out. But they reckon that um, this will be a growing uh, will be a growing space in in this area. So let's watch it and see where we're going. And MVMOs seem to be the flavor of the month. So we're going to be hopefully that drives competition and we get slightly better pricing because. Cell phone pricing or mobile pricing, both data, data has dropped, but the calls and I don't know who uses calls, everyone uses WhatsApp, but calls and other costs of mobile haven't dropped. The cost of handsets has risen. So overall, the cost of communicating, certainly on a mobile network, hasn't dropped by much over the last couple of years. And unfortunately, I don't expect it, expect it to drop much more. However, MVNOs can bring some focus and some flavor to a pretty stable and solid environment. And on that note, we're going to have a quick break for our uh, our various uh, supporters out there and some of our advertisers. We'll be back straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. So, back to the news of the month. September is always dominated by Apple Month. There's been a lot of movement and activity in the mobile space with the launch of the Samsung Fold and Flip in the last couple of weeks. And that phone is on the market getting rave reviews. It's just an interesting take on an area that Samsung have claimed pretty much for themselves. There's a lot of rivals coming along at good pricing um, or similar pricing, but the, the high end is held by very capable, very mature, and they no longer first adopter products. The flip and the fold are certainly a really fun and interesting take on mobile devices going forward. Obviously, they run the Android operating system, and with, of, of course, um, Samsung's little take on, on the actual interface, which, again, has matured to the point to be extremely useful and, for the most part, indistinguishable in functionality. I'm not saying the way it works, but just functionality from anything else on the market. But the big sort of news generally, and Huawei have dropped a little bombshell on the market as well. We'll talk a little bit about that later. But in the meanwhile, the big news is that next week on the 12th, the iPhone 15 is going to be released. And again, as much as people, you know, they do say that iPhones are, are, you know, I'm not getting into the whole religious argument about who prefers what. The fact is that globally, and certainly in the West, and <laughs> even though China is now trying to restrict the use of iPhones for reasons, um, but and sanctions and whatnot, not, not part of what we want to discuss here. But the iPhone sets the trend and definitely is of great interest to to users globally as to what's new and what's coming. And the rumors are rife about what the new, the new product will be. We'll know next week, Tuesday evening. Um, might have to wait a little bit of time to find out all the details from me because of the holidays, as I mentioned. But anyway, the iPhone 15 appears to be a fairly significant upgrade that is going to, in normal fashion, bring a whole lot of functionality and some new use cases and all sorts of new usability tweaks and touches to the market. The most important thing is the new processor and the move of Apple to the USB-C connectivity globally. That was mandated by the European Union last year, 
and had to be implemented over a period of time. And Apple will be definitely launching a brand new um, connector. The old connector is gone. Here we go again. A whole bunch of new cables are going to be needed. The good news is that the USB-C cable, for the most part, is pretty universal. It's not quite that simple. Um, some USB cables are not good at charging for whatever reason. There are different technical specs and different standards. But charging cables, cables that carry power, are somewhat different to other cables that carry sort of data and other signals. So be a little careful. Just having a USB port doesn't mean you can just plug anything in and charge it on any USB charger. But Apple are bringing that to the phone, which should be quite a big, big switch. And all the lightning cables will sort of become a thing of the past over a period. But as I said, the big change is the new A16 Bionic chip and the new A17 Bionic chip, which will which will power the iPhone 15 Pro models. Again, what Apple are doing is they're differentiating between the iPhone 15 and the iPhone 15 Pro. The Pro will be the flagship where all the technology goes. It will be where the pricing is extreme and where the more cutting-edge technologies are used. So the processor will be definitely the, the newest and the latest on the market. There's a rumor that Apple have bought up all the production of the 3.5 nanometer production from the various chip manufacturers over the next year, even though the market seems to have slowed down considerably in terms of replacement phones. And that, for me, is the most defining factor of what has been going on in the uh, in the mobile phone space. Apart from, as I said, Samsung's rather innovative use of foldable and, you know, flexible screen, there's been very little change. So whether they... The rumor is the iPhone 15 Pro will be titanium, so not stainless steel, much lighter, easier to carry. Screen sizes will remain the same. Specifications will be pretty much the same other than really fast processors, better quality screens potentially, and um, very similar but upgraded cameras to the previous generation, the 14 Pros, with a, a, a possibility of a, a really good folded photo lens, telephoto lens on the Pro Max. So let's see, and the colors are going to be a little bit more funky, which should be interesting. But for the average sort of the lower end of the market, the 15 users, the Dynamic Island is coming. There's no question about that. That's sort of replacing the notch at the top. You've got this little island that is all sort of informative. And I must say, I've been using the Pro Max for a little while, well, for the last year. And I do find that that um, Dynamic Island is very useful. You, if you're playing music, for example, it shows a little, little, you know, sort of activity monitor which you can touch and change your music. It is quite useful and it pops up all sorts of activities in a nice, clean fashion in the middle. So that is coming to the iPhone 15. However, the internal processor and all other aspects won't be that different to the iPhone 14. So again, we'll, just, we'll see when they, they lease and ha- when they release the product, we'll see how compelling it's going to be within the space, um, whether you should upgrade from a 14 to a 15. My sense from everything that I've read, everything that I've seen, that the 15 is going to be a stopgap for the next generation of phones where there'll be huge differences. It always seems to work in that sort of cadence of big updates, minor updates, big updates a year or two later. And I think we're in a minor updates phase. 
the pricing of these phones are going to be in the 40 grand range for some of them, in the 20 grand range for others. So they are not going to be cheap. So it's going to be quite a significant cost to simply upgrade from a 14, certainly. But if you've got a 12 or 11 in general, once you've skipped a year or two or three within the Apple ecosystem, the upgrade to the latest and the greatest always seems to make a lot of sense. But we'll get all the uh, information about that coming in the next in the next few days, as I said, the evening of the 12th will be when all the news hits the the market. But the pricing, I, will, I must admit, there's a lot of rumors that the pricing is going to go up again. It went up last year quite, not a lot in dollar terms, but in rand terms, it started pushing from the 30s to the 40s for a phone, which I think is pretty insane. The other benefits of the new processors is definitely battery life. I found the 15, the 14's battery life has improved both the standard and the pro, but not by much. And again, I think we're in a bit of a gray period in terms of features and functionality. Whether you want a slightly sharper, better camera, one that can take uh, and make 3D sort of renders of, of, of pretty much any object you take a photo of. That's one of the new functionalities that seems to be coming is, is, is pretty much a moot point. The cameras today are really that good that a slight improvement here or a slight improvement there might not be worth the change. But again, we will definitely see that. But the Pro Max and the Pros, uh, and the Pro will be their flagships. Hopefully they are lighter. I, I must admit that I don't mind the size but the weight of a Pro Max in stainless steel is a bit heavy. But I do believe that in U.S. dollars, the price will go up a little, and we're going to see a little bit more um, a little bit more movement in terms of the South African price. There's no question. The iPhone mini model has gone away, so that's going to happen. This is not coming back. There's no question about that. And the iPhone 15 Max may not come back. There's a lot of rumor around that. But um, there are rumors of an iPhone 15 Ultra. Who knows? I don't know how Ultra they can go beyond Pro Max, but unlikely. That's, again, not a rumor that I'm sure that um, they're going to to do something about. Let's see. But bringing a titanium frame, as I said, would bring a lot of um, a lot of weight gains and certainly make the Pro Max a lot better. And, as I also mentioned, is the USB-C product, again, will be a little bit rumored to do certain better things if you use the Apple-authorized uh, USB cables as opposed to normal USB cables. But the big difference really is that as long as you've got a USB charging cable, you'll be able to use pretty much any USB cable with any USB-compatible, USB-C compatible um, charger anywhere. And that will definitely bring down the amount of sort of waste not that they've been including charges in any of the phones, not Samsung nor Apple, for many, many years now. So a lot is changing in that space. But moving on to where <laughs> the market got a little bit rattled in the last week is Huawei released a brand new phone called the Mate 60. Now, before we get into what the Mate 60 does and why people have been you know, talking about it and all the changes that this potentially highlights, remember that there are massive sanctions against Huawei from uh, America. They're not allowed to use high, highly advanced chips. They're not allowed, and China in general has been sanctioned against the manufacturing or the methodologies and all the Western technology to create highly advanced chips. So for a, for a simple matter of technical specs, 
all the Huawei phones for the last couple of years have been unable to offer 5G or 5G speeds because those technologies were effectively completely banned for export um, to China. And the chip manufacturing parts and pieces were simply not available. They did stockpile some of the older ones, but as you can see with the Apple and the Samsung, with the Qualcomm chips and the Apple chips, they move really quickly. Every year there's a significant improvement in capacity, quality, speed, power efficiency, and the etching of those things from 7 nanometers down to 3.5 nanometers. Two years ago we were on 14 nanometers. All of that might just simply sound like numbers, but they can get away a lot more transistors onto a onto a chip. They can increase the functionality and efficiency of the chip significantly. And China's been left out of that loop. But with the launch of the Mate 60 Pro and the Mate 60, all of a sudden there was a phone from China that theoretically is using a seven and a half or seven nanometer chip built entirely in China using Chinese technology, and that's where it's getting super interesting. All the people who are trying this phone, which can uh, use 5G networks and 5G speeds, which are specifically excluded from the technology that China can obtain from the West, suddenly they've created homegrown technology that's replacing some of the technology that they couldn't get, which shows that their design either to one of two things. One, they have uh, somehow obtained this technology illegally and are using it to create chips they shouldn't be able to create. Or two, they have genuinely developed alternative ways of generating these massive uh, leaps in chip design, which will then bring these these phones and China back into the fold in terms of compatibility or comparability with some of the technologies that exist in the West. And... Um, Considering the hoo-ha America's made about all the sanctions, it's uh, quite a big blow. There is, and I've done some a little bit of reading and research about it, it appears that they could possibly have tweaked all the technology which they do have access to to allow it um, to create some of the semblances of this uh, higher tech and still give um, the impression that this is a much more advanced chip than it actually is. But... Whatever the case is, it's created massive ripples in the market. That being said, the Huawei phones still run a form of free Android with a, with a Huawei overlay. So no direct access to Apple Maps, no um, Apple Maps to Google Maps or any of the Google services that have been banned and restricted from Huawei. So the phone for, for the most part is somewhat crippled. I wouldn't spend 30 grand on a phone that really can't natively run all the Google services that I've totally taken for granted. Amongst many of the smaller apps, the big ones they've been able to replace, so their, their app store can function pretty well in South Africa with regard to the general sort of banking apps and most of the basic stuff. But anything else has to work through the browser or through a workaround which leaves you unattached to Google servers. So you can get an email, no problem, because that's an open standard. But certain of the, the sort of back-end services that Google offer are simply not available at all. And I believe at this level, why would you bother? There are so many other brands that are out there, comparably priced, similar technologies that you can spend way less money on in some cases and get all the services that you need. So fundamentally crippled or flawed, 
But the release of the Mate 60 shows that the technology industry in China is not sitting around waiting for the West. And uh, the rumor is that sanctions may be losing their teeth or their bite. And it's not um, not a pretty, pretty picture to have the world split into two technology camps, China and America or the West. And it creates all sorts of interesting conundrums that would have to work themselves out. So I'm not, I'm not uh, recommending in any way, shape, or form that you rush out and buy the latest uh, Huawei phone, though I understand it will be coming to South Africa pretty soon. I do believe that if you do, it's a phone that's certainly a lot better than any other Huawei phone in the last year or two, but still fundamentally crippled. And with the launch of so many competitors from Samsung, Oppo, Xiaomi, and um, now with all the new Apple phones coming on, there's no shortage of really top-notch devices that can do absolutely everything you want them to do within the space of the Western technology world that, unfortunately for Huawei, they're still going to be relegated to the sort of backwater of low-end phones or phones for people who really actually don't know. And I don't think that's cool. I think you can... You know, you get told that this phone is perfectly compatible. There's a workaround for all the Google services. And it's a little disingenuous, a little dishonest. And you're getting people to part with a lot of money for very little purpose. But that's my particular rant about Huawei trying to pretend that everything's absolutely normal and this is a great phone to buy. Good cameras, great tech. It's a real pity that this all happened. But the simple fact is you don't want, honestly, to buy something that is not entirely compatible with all the services that you would want, um, you would want to do. So let's wait and see. I will report back on all the on all the Samsung and Apple and other phones that come with a big announcement coming. And Apple always drops something extra at some point. So it's going to be a big week for technology. Be interesting to see how far they can push the envelope, especially as I said in the case where I believe that. Technology is in a little bit of a, a hiatus of massive innovation, and we are not seeing a lot of big change. So spending on a new device, which would have been automatic a couple of years ago, will become a decision about can I afford it and is it actually necessary because what benefit is it really bringing to me? I've got a brand new iPhone 14, which does the job. It's got everything I need, brilliant camera, all the, all the necessary technology you can think of. Why would I then replace it with something that's slightly better or a little bit more, you know, up to date? And on that note, quick break for our sponsors, and we'll be back with my Gadget of the Week. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Now moving on to beautiful gadgets. Uh, A very, very cool new laptop crossed my desk and test bench, and I'm actually talking to you from it right now. Um, is the new Dell XPS 13 Plus. And Dell XPS range has been the Windows equivalent of, in some ways, the Apple Pro range for many years. And it was one of the first sort of Windows machines that really did do the trick in terms of quality, innovation, small size. And there have been a lot of Ultrabooks and low and, and, and low weight and low small sort of compact dimension laptops on the market. But very few of them have lasted quite as long or have been so consistent as the XPS range from Dell. Now it comes in a 13, a 15 and 17 inch, um, version. 
But the one that I'm playing with is the new 13 plus, XPS 13 plus, and it's the 2023 version. Now they did a, over the years they've, they've certainly been defined by their small size, their carbon fiber inners, good but not great trackpad, great um, screens, and great quality and updatability and portability, which definitely makes a huge difference. And this one, simply put, feels like the future. The new, the new Plus 2023 has no obvious visual backpack. That's the first thing you notice. There is no cutout or indentation or any indication that a trackpad actually exists in front of the keyboard. And for 99.99% of the time, I must admit, I haven't even noticed that the indentation doesn't exist. Your muscle memory goes to where a touchpad would be. And this is a purely capacitive haptic feedback trackpad. And one of the nicest ones I've used on a window machine. There's no question that Apple without touchscreen ever on any of their devices owns the trackpad space. They've been expansive. They've been super um, effective, very sensitive and easy to use. And often I've found that Windows, any Windows machine, their trackpads have been a little bit of a disappointment. Well, the new XPS 13 trackpad is no disappointment at all. Occasionally you tap on the body of the computer and nothing happens. You realize you're a little to the left or to the right and you're not in the trackpad sweet spot. But that happens so rarely and for the most part I haven't even noticed when I've been on the go. It works flawlessly. But couple that with a really good quality touch screen. Not a big fan of touching screens. You get greasy finger marks and, and, and marks on your screen while you're trying to read a small spreadsheet or a document. A little bit painful, but you can certainly, instead of using keyboard shortcuts, which are a big thing with Apple and the trackpad combo, you can use touchscreen and the trackpad and certain of the Windows shortcuts to navigate really efficiently through Windows and all the day-to-day tasks. Again, I found that Office um, and Office 365 is slightly more advanced, even though the Apple versions are super, super, super. And there is one tiny little drawback, um, not a biggie, but something that in this day and age of technology is not actually that cool, is the front camera is a 720p only. It's not a full HD camera, which is a given on even low-end laptops. And the reason why it is, I think, that it is still such a limited um, camera Although the picture quality is pretty good using it, most people don't even notice, but it's, it's, it's not sort of cutting edge, is that the screen is edge to edge. The bezels, the surround around the screen is so tiny, and the keyboard and the rest of the body fits so snugly into a slightly smaller space that um, they probably couldn't fit a better a camera for whatever reason into the tiny space allocated at the top of the screen. They tried once to fit one at the bottom and all you saw was people's nostrils. That was the worst thing that Dell ever did by putting the camera at the bottom of the, of the screen facing upwards. So you saw everyone's noses from the bottom or their chins. It wasn't a, a genius idea if there ever was, but on all other technical fronts, the one that I was given to use is a one terabyte um, hard drive, 32 gigs of memory, the latest Intel Core i7 processor, which is super snappy, and interestingly, only comes with two Thunderbolt 4 USB Type-C connectors. Now, the 
the, the benefit, there's no headphone jacks, there's nothing. There are only two USB-C. So you, you tend to land up in dongle heaven if you want to pick, connect anything to this device. But you can charge from either side, and it charges really quickly. The one area that, unfortunately, for whatever reason, and it's a processor consideration, that Windows laptops cannot get close to the Apple Mac is battery life. There's no question that the... The, uh, the MacBook Pro 14 can get up to 20 hours of battery life on a charge running full performance for the most part. Whereas the Dell, I get between seven and eight and really pushed hard with, with the screen on bright, sometimes as low as five, six hours of battery charge, which is a little bit of a drawback. Also with the type of um, video card built in, it's not great for doing video work. So any form of Video editing or picture editing, not the ideal product for, for you. But for anything else, it's super slick. It's super light. It's super easy to use. There's absolutely no, um, drawbacks in terms of functionality. Comes with Windows 11, snappy, well, well thought out. But <laughs> I left the best part till last. The prices have become pretty crazy in South Africa. Depending on your configuration, and that's memory, hard drive, and screen configuration, I've got the OLED model, which is spectacular. Beautiful blacks, unbelievable sharpness, tremendous screen from any point of view. Um, but the LCD screens are also excellent, but they are cheaper. So you're talking pricing from 40 to 55,000 Rand for a laptop, which is not insignificant sums of money. But then again, a similarly specced Apple Pro 14 starts at 48K and goes all the way up for the one that I've got, 32 gig RAM, one um, terabyte SSD at around about 59K. So unfortunately, the RAND and the weakness of the RAND, the sustained weakness of the RAND has definitely hurt pricing in South Africa. These laptops used to be in the 30,000 Rand range. They're now in the 40 to 50,000 Rand range, pushing close to 60. But if you're in the market for a top-end, easy-to-carry, incredibly functional Windows machine that certainly competes in all areas except two. One, the uh, if you do a lot of video editing, the, the Apple um, MacBook Pro is better at video editing and also has far better battery life. In those two areas, the Dell doesn't compete. But if you want to stick with Windows and you want the highest end, coolest looking, easy to use, beautifully built and well supported next day on-site support uh, from Dell, then the Dell XPS 13 is a no-brainer. It's really one of the best laptops I've played with and certainly gives you that sort of wow factor when you wander off to a place to have coffee or an office to present comes with all the dongles you need to do that. So a, I wouldn't say good value, but certainly a great laptop at a very competitive price in the market and certainly brings all the latest and greatest in technology and screen options and memory options that you could possibly want. And on that note, we have to have another quick break for our sponsors and we'll be back with an app update, which a lot of people seem to have ignored, but... Um, there's just no question that uh, a lot is still happening in this space as we go forward. We'll be back straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome back. And uh, 
busy day today, but stay tuned to 109.9 FM for the ultimate beauty competition. Sorbe invites you to renew, renovate, renovate, and rejuvenate with incredible prizes with thousands of rands. Don't miss the Sorbe Norwood Mall competition featured daily on the Morning Mayhem and Overdrive shows. So that's a good way, good reason to get you to listen to those shows. Head to Sorbe in Norwood Mall, snap a selfie with a magnificent cherry blossom tree, post it on social media, and tag Sorbe Norwood Mall. You could win an indulgent pamper hamper. So get ready for a glamorous transformation and head on down to Sorbe in Norwood Mall. Now, moving on to... A little interesting uh, conundrum that a lot of people who travel, uh, I know that it's not so easy to travel, the prices, the visas, a lot of reasons not to travel, though the planes to South Africa seem packed in and out all the time, so people are still getting out there and doing their thing. But when you travel, it is almost impossible to Wi-Fi hop. So many People I speak to, don't worry, we've got Wi-Fi at the hotel, we, you know, there's Wi-Fi everywhere, we can do that when we travel. But everything today is online. You arrive in any destination, you need to make bookings online, so much better for restaurants. You need to find out where to go, where you are, instead of just wandering the streets and trying to figure out. You can download maps, and there are lots of ways you can work without data, but Truthfully, when you've spent a ton of money to fly to an exotic location to have a wonderful holiday, to spend 10 or $20 and or euros, which <laughs> admittedly is not nothing in rand terms anymore, but still, to spend a few dollars, a few euros, to give yourself full internet connectivity and full access to WhatsApp calling and Googling and mapping and you name it, is just an absolute no-brainer. And the best part is that there is a proliferation of companies out there that are selling eSIMs, and most higher-end phones and the newer phones today take eSIMs. And as I said, there seems to be a ton of companies out there that are offering instant download, instant activation, eSIMs for very moderate pricing. We're talking three, four, five gigs for under $20 across uh, the range, and I mean, unless you're watching lots of videos, or you're going to try stream a little bit of Netflix while you're on holiday, which you should be doing other things anyway, but that's a personal story, what, you should really check out an app which you can download on Android or iOS called Airello, um, and they've got sims for pretty much every single country in the world, including South Africa, funny enough, and um, you can download them, install them, be up and running with Pretty good data. I've used it in many countries, and I've got 5G in some countries, but really good 4Gs and 4G in others. And it is easy to download, easy to install, easy to use, and relatively inexpensive. And it gives you all the benefits of staying connected with your family, friends. You can wander off, not get lost. Your maps will work. You can check out the museums or whatever the events and attractions are. Often helps to skip the line by, um, you know, booking ahead and using your SIM to do it. So they've got local SIMs, regional SIMs, and even global SIMs. They've even got calling account, calling plans if you so wish, though for the most part that's really unnecessary. So really, 
very easy. Download the app on your phone, choose your destination, install your eSIM, activate it by pretty much switching it on, and away you go. You're fully connected on a local network at pretty good speeds, for, and you can top them up should you run out of data, and it just makes perfect sense. And on that note, I'm going to leave you. I think my time has run out this week. Stay tuned, stay involved in tech, and tune in to FM to listen to all the latest news and gadget and gizmo stuff that I'll try to bring to you every week. This is Stephen Ambrose for Tech Talk on FM.